Well, good morning, everyone. So glad uh, that we can be all together this morning. And uh, I love the series that we're in. I love uh, the just watching the pictures uh, of that psalm just come alive. And my prayer is that, that God would continue to unpack the layers in our life of the stress that's going on and continue to work in us. And I love that we're able to release our stress to God and uh, find the rest that, that he has for us. So we're going to continue uh, in this series this morning, and we're going to focus uh, on, on verse 4 in Psalm 23, uh, which says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's nothing like a good dark valley that can bring a little stress in our lives, huh? Uh, I'm sure we can all look back in times in our life uh, where life just brought a valley, and it's difficult, it was tough, it was hard to deal with, and and many of us uh, indeed uh, may be in a valley this morning. Uh, You you may feel the pain that it brings every day, Uh, the uncertainty of life is is kind of stressful, loneliness you may feel, or, or heartache or loss you've experienced in your life. And I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning. And and I'm trusting him that that we're gonna receive something from him today. And and if you hear one thing uh, this morning as we go through it, remember this, is that God does not lead us into the valley of the shadow of death. Or or God does not lead us into the, the darkest of valleys, but God leads us to quiet waters. And and God leads us to green pastures and guides us on a right path. Today, I want to talk about when we're in the midst of that valley, how do we find direction? How do we find direction, God's direction in the valley? Finding the direction to the peace that God wants to bring us finding the direction of the path of righteousness, and finding the direction to receive the refreshment of our soul. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking there's, there's really two types of valleys that we can find ourselves in. One being a valley that probably many of us have been here before that you brought on by your own personal doing. And maybe this was by straying away from God's word. This, this could be a sin Uh, that you're involved in in your own life. It could be an unhealthy relationship. It could be unforgiveness. It could be poor stewardship of your finances and just some bad financial decisions. Um, It it could be an addiction in your life. The the list can go on, but really, we've probably all at many times in our life found ourselves in a valley brought on by our own personal doing because we strayed away from God's plan. The second type of valley is brought on... uh, uh, from uncontrollable circumstances. So maybe this is a death in the family. Maybe it's a diagnosis of an illness you're dealing with. Maybe it's like a robbery, or maybe your, your parents got divorced and you're suffering with some of the emotional aftermath that that brings. Life brings many of these both types of valleys because we live in a fallen world. We're sinful, we're imperfect, but really, is when we're there in those valleys, they're painful and they're confusing and depressing. And, and many times it can feel like there's no hope. 
There's no light at the end of the tunnel. But the good news is, is this morning, you, if you find yourself uh, in the midst of a valley, there is hope. Because God does not lead us to the darkest valleys, but he leads us to green pastures. And that is the hope that we have. And uh, I want to share with you a few things God put on my heart concerning this. Because this morning, uh, I, I'm in the middle of a valley myself. And as I've been praying about this and thinking about this, uh, God kind of shared with me a few things um, that I'm going to share with you. And the first would be, keep walking. If you're, if you're a note taker, write that down. Keep walking. As I said, I'm, I'm in the middle of a valley right now. And uh, at the beginning of the summer, uh, playing basketball, I tore my ACL and meniscus in my uh, knee. And so uh, that kind of started the, the point of I'm going into a valley here. So, uh, and, and with that, it brought a lot of pain, you know, physical pain, but it also brought a lot of emotional pain too. So not only am I trying to rehabilitate my knee back to where uh, it, it needs to be, but I'm dealing with some of this emotional pain and stress uh, one is just the stress of, is my knee ever going to be the same? And I got to get it back there. And so I'm dealing with some of this like inner emotional pain just on myself. But I, I also got really let down. You know, I, I missed a big backpacking trip and had to cancel a vacation with my, my wife. I missed all of our uh, student ministry summer camps this summer and a lot of other things that I'm, I was just kind of dealing with. It was just really disappointing. But then along with that, um, uh, there's a lot of other types of stress that come into this. Stress of the uh, financial aspect on, you know, how, am I, how are we going to uh, pay for all the stuff that it entails, all the physical therapy and all, all the, the surgeries and this and all the visits and all this stuff. Uh, so there's that, that looming out there. And then there's like this emotional need that my, my wife has and my toddler has for me, that I need to be there for them and I'm missing out on things and I'm trying to uh, be all the way there. And then there's stress at work, trying to figure out how to do old things a new way, uh, trying to get around and, and, and uh, run our youth ministry programs and empower people and equip people uh, as I'm like the gimp around the office. And so I'm trying to figure out all this stuff, and there's a lot of, of stress that goes involved in it. And so I'm kind of in the middle of this. And whether uh, 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 this, uh, sorry, I've been experiencing some other things as well. So whether this is uh, tied to the knee or the stress or anything else, I'm not really sure. But uh, in the middle of all of this, I've also been dealing with some like weird symptoms going on in my body. And so trying to figure out, talking with doctors about how you know, we get this solved and what's going on. And currently, right now, I, I'm, I'm hooked up to a heart monitor machine, checking like what's going on, uh, just going on in my heart and stuff. And so in the middle of this, I'm like really stressful and it's tough, and it's hard trying to figure all this stuff out. And uh, I have to get up every single morning, and I have to continue to do go to work and continue to be with my wife and my son. I have to continue to work my knee and do the, the routine stretches that I'm supposed to do. I literally have to keep walking. I have to keep moving otherwise and keep stretching. Otherwise, my knee will stiffen up. It's no good. You don't get full range of motion. It's bad news. And so I literally have to get up every morning and keep walking. I have to keep moving forward. I have to continue to endure this. And that's what I would say to you. And I love how David wrote in the psalm. 
that he said, as I walk through the valley. He, he didn't say, as I sit in the valley. He didn't say, as I'm, I'm hanging out in the valley. He said, as I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. When we find ourselves in the middle of these valleys, we have to keep walking. Don't camp out there and just say, oh, I'm just going to wait for this to pass over and then everything will be fine. No, you keep walking as you're in the middle of the valley. Otherwise, if you stay still, life is going to stiffen up around you and ultimately you're going to lose sight of where God is trying to bring you. Keep walking. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. Paul says this in Romans 5, 3. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know they uh, help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There's just something that I think Paul's writing here that's just about endurance. There's something about that endurance or perseverance when we just keep walking through the valleys. Not only is God leading us to a better place and a more peaceful place, but God is working in us uh, as we're in the process. We're developing endurance and we're developing character and, and that's strengthening our relationship with God. There's just something about that perseverance of keep walking and, and I'm in, when I'm in the middle of this valley, I'm gonna keep going to church and I'm gonna keep reading my Bible and I'm gonna keep going to my life group and I'm gonna keep staying plugged in and I'm gonna keep praying and I'm gonna keep worshiping and I'm gonna keep moving forward. I'm not gonna camp out and stay still because God really isn't a reality until he's, a necessity. And, and God knows this. God knows that, that until we're in that valley, that God's really not a reality in our life until he becomes that necessity. And when God becomes the necessity, he's able to do his best work, his best work in that. And, and, and through this, God brings us on the path of righteousness and God's direction in our life. In the NFL, if you ever want to be a top-performing Running back, like our very own Marshawn Lynch, the world championship, Seattle Seahawks. If you ever want to be a top-performing NFL running back, there's something that coaches start training very early on to the running backs, and that is to keep your legs moving. Keep your legs moving. They, they teach him this, that even when you hit that initial contact as you get the ball in that first tackler, you're supposed to keep your legs moving and pumping. Because you never know, as you keep your legs moving and pumping, who you're going to shake off, who's not going to be able to tackle you. Uh, you might break free and score the touchdown. And really, you're hoping to get those few extra yards. And uh, they, they call this uh, the term of like, he kept his legs turning or he kept his legs moving. And top performing, performing NFL running backs, they do that. And they hit that initial contact. They just keep their legs moving, even if it stops them in their tracks. And I believe Paul is saying something very similar here. He says, when we run into problems and trials, when we run into the valleys and they stop you in your tracks, David says, and Paul says, keep moving, keep walking. Keep that endurance and perseverance alive. Keep the legs going. Because God is going to do something 
in the midst of these trials and problems and valleys in our life. And as you're in the valley and you keep walking, keep moving forward, you're going to be strengthened to be able to endure to the other side. And your character is going to be built. And your love for God is going to grow in that time. Because God never intended for us to live in the valley, but to pass through it. There is an end. This will pass. And there's green pastures on the other side. But you got to keep walking and keep moving ahead. Continue. Press into your Bible more than you have. Pray more than you have. Be open more than you have. Continue to walk. Second thing is if you're taking notes, is to embrace correction. Embrace correction. It's really interesting to me how David says in this psalm that as I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting how David says that the rod and the staff comfort me. Now, the staff is like the long uh, uh, staff with like the hook at the end, you know, that like the shepherds have. And we love that tool, you know, that God uses. It kind of just grabs us and brings us back in. And, oh, they're going over here, bringing them back in. That's so nice. But a lot of that's comforting, isn't it? Just knowing that God will grab you and pull you back in. It's just really nice. But I love how David says the rod comforts him. Because the rod was kind of like a thick walking stick. It was kind of like a club. Uh, that the I'm serious. I became a sheepologist before I'm talking about this, all right? They had the, the rod, and the rod was used for two things. One, it was used for protecting the sheep. So if a wolf or another predator came at the sheep, he would be able to use that to either throw it or to uh, ward off an attack against the sheep. And we have to know, too, that God is out to protect us. God is trying to protect his children. And what would happen when a sheep would kind of wander off a little bit, the shepherd would know that the sheep is kind of going off, and the shepherd would, will let the sheep a lot of times kind of wander a little bit, stray a little bit. And don't we as Christians do that a lot? We kind of stray a little bit, and God lets us stray. And what happens is the sheep strayed, and as it approached uh, danger, or as it approached something that got a little bit too far away, the shepherd a lot of times would take the rod, and it would correct the sheep. It would strike the sheep. And sometimes it hit it, uh, uh, on, the, on the body, or it would throw it at it and kind of try and scare it. A lot of times it would hit it on the leg, and sometimes really injuring the sheep. It would crack the rod on the leg, sometimes breaking the leg of the sheep. So we all get those, you know, beautiful pictures of Jesus walking through the mountainside with the sheep around its shoulders. You know, he just broke his leg. He's just walking, you know, I got you. I got, I got my sheep here. But then what happens is the shepherd, he would have that sheep, and he would mend it back to health. And, and he would keep it right by its side. And as that sheep uh, it w- regained its health, it would remember any time that it thought to stray away, it would remember the correction that it had. And it wouldn't go and leave the shepherd's side. And it got so used to, to walking right by the shepherd, that's how it would live its life out, walking closely right next to the shepherd. And in our lives, I just love how Jesus compares us to sheep. A lot of times that's us. We love to stray away. But we need to embrace correction when God brings correction in our life. Whether it's through the Holy Spirit and conviction in our, in our heart, or whether it's through life circumstance that's happening to us, God can use that to correct us. 
And God can use other people in our life to correct us as well. And here's what Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says. It says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. It can be really easy to go through a valley and when God wants to correct us in behavior in our life or lifestyles or sin, through circumstances or people, can be really easy to get defensive. And I'm just natural that way. I always get defensive when, when correction comes in my life. And it's just so easy. You know, it, it's easy to go, like, it wasn't my fault. Like, or no, it was this person who did that. Or no, it's, it's my wife. She doesn't ever do this. Or my husband, he always does that. And uh, it, it's just easy to get defensive when correction comes in our life, whether it's pride or ignorance, maybe blindness to, to, to why you're even there. I don't know, but I don't like correction. But God uses those things to correct us. And, and God can bring someone into our life, like a spouse or a pastor or a teacher, a parent, a brother, a sister, a boss. God uses correction not to harm us, but to protect us. And that's why I think David said the rod is comforting, knowing that God loves David enough to correct him and maybe correct him in something small to protect him from something big. And it's comforting knowing that God loves us enough to correct us in order to protect us from something else. Like a parent would a child, you know? Uh, We correct our children um, when they're doing something that we know is going to harm them or or we know that it's not going to help them later in life. So we correct our children, not to harm them, but to protect them from a a disaster or different things going on in their life. And we need to learn to embrace correction just like our children learn to embrace it. Sometimes they don't. I have a two-year-old son, though. Uh, His name's Grant, and he's just the cutest kid in the world. And I was trying to correct him last night, and uh, I was trying to get him ready to take a bath and get his jammies on and read some books and then go to sleep. And uh, we have this nightly routine. And uh, for some reason, too, yesterday, he learned this weird phrase. I don't know how he learned it, but he did. He learned the phrase, boom shakalaka. <laughs> I don't know where he got it, but he learned it. Maybe he was playing NBA Jam. I'm not sure. But he learned this phrase, boom shakalaka. And so I was like, Grant, it's uh, time to take a bath and put your jammies on and go night-night. And he goes, boom shakalaka. I'm like, is that a yes? (laughs) And then he kind of starts running around wild, and he's running. He's going, boom, shakalaka, boom, shakalaka, boom, shakalaka. And I'm like, what are you doing, Grant? And really what it was is it was Grant. He didn't want to do it. And so he's being defiant, trying to be funny and cute and run around so he could get out of it. And so finally I was was getting kind of, you know, a little upset after it dragged on a little too long. And so I grabbed him, put him on my lap, and I got really serious with him. I looked at him, and I was like, Grant, look at me in the eyes right now. And he got, like, really quiet and looked at me. Big eyes, kind of afraid a little bit. And I said, Grant, when Daddy's talking to you and he tells you something, you need to obey, and you need to listen to your Daddy. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a bath, going to get in your jammies, and we're going to go to sleep, okay? And he looks at me with these big eyes, and he kind of leans in, and he goes, boom, shakalaka. <laughs> It's just super cute, you know. 
It's just cute when kids do that. It's really cute. But you know what? A lot of us, really all of us, at many points in our life, when God's trying to correct us, we act like children. We're defiant. But the thing is, when it's cute for little Grant to do that, it's not cute anymore to be defiant when we're adults, when corrections come in our life. It do, it, it, it's no longer cute. It's no longer funny when someone's trying to correct you or God's trying to correct you and we're defiant and we talk back and we lie or we try and get out of it, or we cut people off. It, it's no longer cute when heaven is trying to correct us and we don't receive it. But God loves us that much that he wants to protect us, that he'll continue to do it over and over again, correcting over and over again. We need to learn to embrace that. God loves us so much to accept us just as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us like that. God is good and he can use our own sin to correct the course to the right direction, God's direction in our life. If you want to find God's direction and you're in the valley right now, we need to take the correction of God and apply it in our life and move ahead in that. Maybe that means sitting down with a spouse and listening to what they're really saying. Taking the correction your boss is actually trying to give you or a pastor is trying to tell you. We need to learn to do that. And God will work through that. And lastly, we need to lift the veil. And what I mean by that is uh, this. Let me explain. So the other tool that the shepherd has is he has the staff. And the staff, he's able to hook the sheep and bring him back in. And that's really nice. And that's comforting, isn't it? And I love that about God, that he'll always pursue us. He's a relentless God. And he'll always hook us and bring us back in. But I don't want to live a life like that, where I'm always straying away, and God's always trying to hook me to bring me back in. I don't know about you, but I, it's kind of foolish to think a Christian doesn't have to do anything to stay on the right path. I don't want to live a life where I stray away, the crack of the rod guides you back in. And then you stray away, the crack of the rod, and then guide you back in. I don't want to live a life like that. So here's what I want to tell you. If you can't see well, you can't walk straight. When you can't see well, you're going to stray. Easy as that. And many of us, we have areas in our life that blind us in order to walking in the right path in the right direction. Many of us have things that cloud our vision on where God's trying to bring us. And I think Paul kind of touches on this in 2 Corinthians, where he's kind of speaking to the church of people who thought they had it all together, who were always trying to show off and say the right things, do the right things. And Paul kind of speaks to them exactly in that spot. And this is what he says. In 2 Corinthians 3, 13, he says, We are not like Moses, would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, this is verse 17 now, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, 
and are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Paul was talking to the Corinthians here who thought they had it all together and tried to act and put on the right face and stuff. But Paul kind of disses Moses as he's correcting the Corinthian church at the same time. Because in the Old Testament, in Exodus, we learned that when Moses would go and meet with, the, meet with God, whether it was up on the mountain or, or in uh, the tent, the tabernacle, that God would uh, imp- uh, implement a law. And as Moses was reflecting and contemplating on the glory of God and being in that moment, his face would radiate God's glory. And so when he would come out of the tent, his face would be glowing, radiating God's glory. And then he'd uh, speak to the Israelites what just took place. And then he would put a veil over his face until he would meet with God again and go back into the tent and the process would repeat. But we learn a new insight here when Paul says, actually, let me tell you what happened. He said, Moses, he would put the veil on because he didn't want the Israelites to see the glory fading away. He he, he said that uh, sometimes Moses left the veil on a little too long that he put the veil on because he didn't want others to see the glory leave his face. So he kept the veil on hiding what was actually taking place behind the veil. And I know this is a really far theological stretch here, but I think Paul was kind of relating uh, this passage to the internet site Pinterest, all right? (laughs) Who uses Pinterest? Just be loud and proud about it. Come on. There's a few really... Those of you who didn't raise your hand, we know. It's okay. But those of you who don't really know what Pinterest is, let me just give you a quick Wikipedia explanation of it, all right? Uh, This is what a Wikipedia says Pinterest is. It's a social network that allows users to visually share and discover new interests by posting, known as pinning, on Pinterest, images or videos to their own or others' others boards, i.e. a collection of pins, usually with a common theme, and browsing what others have pinned. So it's this place where there's all these beautiful pictures and ideas. They're all so good looking. And you, you can take them and pin them. People create like wedding boards or decorating boards. And they, these all look really good. Anyone ever been to the website PinterestFail.com? <laughs> it's just a great website, all right? Essentially what it is is there's people who go onto Pinterest. They see this great idea that looks so good. And then they try it out. And then they post what it actually turned out to be. So I'm just going to show you one example of a mom who took a picture of her cute little baby, posted this on Pinterest and said, here's a great idea for a newborn baby picture. Uh, You dress him up. He looks smart because he's laying on books with glasses. And then, uh, so a mom takes that and goes, this, I want to do this. Who doesn't want to take a picture like that with their baby? So then a mom uh, says, I want to do that. And, And so she gets her baby and puts the glasses on the whole thing. And then she posts what uh, actually happened with uh, her event. <laughs> Pinterestfail.com. It's a, it's a great place. I don't know about you, but this happens all the time. I mean, Pinterest always looks so good on the outside. Those of you who actually use Pinterest, you know what's real. My wife makes uh, Pinterest meals all the time, and they're horrible. They're horrible. <laughs> Those of you who've got, found a recipe on Pinterest and tried it and it didn't work, you know what I'm talking about. Pinterest food sucks. It's horrible because it looks so great on the outside and then you try it and it never works. It just looks great there. But then really behind it, it's just this nasty casserole dish that 
doesn't taste good. Here's another definition of Pinterest that I found as I was looking through. Pinterest is a social media platform strategically designed for nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, reminders that your kids are not as well-dressed as your neighbor's kids. Your home is decorated like garbage. The pictures you take on your own phone are comparatively artless. You did a terrible job planning your own wedding and that you live a generally tedious, monotonous, painfully slow, draining life, unlike everyone else around you whose lives are awesome. This is why I hate social. I, I personally am just being open and honest with everyone. I dislike social media. I don't like it. I, it. It's strong, but like I'm really close to like literally hating social media. I don't like it because people love to just post the best on it. They love to post their highlight reel of life, only showing what they want others to see. Here's my highlight Pinterest board of life. When really behind the highlight reel. We all know what real life looks like. It's not that glamorous, and it's not that great. And I get on social media, and I always get these bad feelings. Like, look at that person, how great they did, or this person, what he's doing in ministry over here, and I'm doing ministry over here, and it doesn't look as good. And this person's on vacation. I'm so envious of vacation. I just want to be on vacation. I should take some time off. And then I get like, oh, this person went here, and I, I didn't get invited, or that, that's going on there. Like, it, it's just this like, weird highlight reel of life that really, honestly, it's just a veil people put over their life a lot of times. Just showing what I want you to see. I want you to think there's a bunch of glory behind here. I want you to think my life is always just so good. And really behind this veil, there's a lot of glory going on. That's why I dislike social media. And our lives can get so wrapped up in just showing the best. And what happens is that veil, it clouds our vision on where God's trying to direct us and lead us. That veil, it makes it fuzzy to see exactly where God is trying to take you. And if you can't see well, you can't walk straight. Always comparing ourselves to others. The reality is we walk around with these veils on so many times in our own life. You can't see well with it on. You're blinded to where God's direction is. And this veil really behind it isn't a good marriage. It's a failing marriage. Really behind your veil, it's an addiction to your body image. Really behind the veil is an addiction to some type of substance, alcohol or some other type of drug. Behind the veil is you're not a happy person. You cry yourself to sleep every night. That's what the veil is, and it's always amazed me, just growing up in the church, that so many people come to church, all across America, and this church included, so many people come to church, and they don't realize the brokenness and pain that's sitting on their left and their right. It just amazes me sometimes, because we walk around with these veils on that's like, there's a bunch of glory behind there. It's all faded away, and it's gone. It just amazes me to think that so many people walk around with these veils that everything's fine. But in the reality, all that it's doing is clouding your vision. You can't see straight. You can't walk straight. If you're in a valley, you're going to have to remove the veil that's clouding your vision to see where God's taking you. God cannot heal who you're pretending to be. God is going to heal who's behind the veil. And like Paul says, there's freedom there. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And with unveiled faces, we're able to contemplate on God's glory and we're transformed by that. If you're in a valley, you're going to have to remove the veil and get real. Lift the veils. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. You need to let go of some bitterness. Every time you see them, you act like you're their best friend. On the inside, you're disgusted of them. Remove the veil and, and begin to forgive the, per, the person. Maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, some type of financial veil that you just need to remove and go, everything's not fine. I'm in debt. What's going on? Remove the veil of the things clouding your vision and where life is taking you, where God is trying to take you. You know, this is something that I've really had to work on in my own life. Growing up in the church as a pastor's kid, people always have really high expectations of the PK. And growing up in that environment where people had high expectations, and, and I got to see like the good part of the church and also like some of the imperfections of church. And a lot of those imperfections and high expectations and people coming in the church and out of the church and trying to trust people and they let you down and this and that, it happens a lot. It really created a lot of cynical nature in me towards the church. I really did, where I felt really cynical that, that uh, it's not all what it's cracked up to be. And through various events, and some staff members here on our, on our staff that oversee me talked to me about it and corrected me in it, and my, my wife pointing it out to me, I had to really come to the point where God said, Nathan, you need to remove this veil from your life. You can't just walk around and act like everything's perfect, everything's great, when on the inside, really what is happening is you're, you're kind of like, angry at the church, cynical towards it. And I really had to, to, to embrace that and move forward in it. And I love how Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being, are being transformed in his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. I love that. Because when we remove the veil, God starts transforming our life. And that transformation, it comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from a boyfriend. It doesn't come from a girlfriend. It doesn't come from a TV show. It doesn't come from a self-help book. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from love or money or sex or possessions. It comes from the Lord. And what does the Bible also say? The Bible says, I will lift my eyes up unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. If you're in a valley this morning, and many of us probably are. You need to take the veil away. Take the veil away and be like, I'm in a valley. I'm here. I need help. And I want to tell you, when you do that and you turn, Paul says when you turn, God will remove the veil from your life. When you turn to God, he will remove that. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there is freedom when you remove that. Remove the, the need to try and always be perfect. Remove the veil of that your marriage is fine. Talk to your spouse. Go to counseling. Remove the veil of your financial situation. Sign up for the financial peace class that just started or is about to start. Get real with it. Remove the veil. And when you do that, you turn to God. God says that there is freedom there. There's freedom. You can see clearly and clearly see God's direction and where he's trying to take you. Take the veil off. 
There's freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is, and His Spirit is here this morning. And as we end, a lot of us need God's direction. Some of us are hurting, and many of us have these real dark valleys we're in. And I want to tell you that help comes from the Lord. There's freedom and rest there. There's peace. God's not going to heal who you pretend to be. Let this morning be a morning. You remove that. Let's continue to walk, find our endurance. Let's embrace the correction. And let's turn to God and have him remove that veil covering our life and find the freedom that God brings and the direction he wants in our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you love us so much, Lord, that you, even when we're in those dark valleys, God, you use the sin in our life and you use those valleys to strengthen us and strengthen our relationship with you. God, and I thank you that you love us enough to accept us exactly who we are. But I thank you also, God, that you love us enough not to leave us in that state. God, but you're correcting us and training us and correcting our course to bring us onto a right path with you. God, and I pray for all of us this morning that have veils covering our life. Financial veils, relationship veils, unforgiveness, bitterness, body image. God, that you would take that and as we turn to you, Lord, that veil would be removed and we'd find the, the freedom that your spirit brings. God, we want to walk from here with unveiled faces. We want to walk from here ready to embrace your correction and walk on the right path. We pray this in your name.